We're going to have to start over, dude. Right, give it, give what? It. Seriously. I was nailing that. God. Silence, dude. Okay. okay. I got no duels in my hands and a Mickey D's in my lap, and I'm not supposed to eat it and drink it? I'll tell you when you can talk. Crazy, right, dude. Ready? Stop. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Well, because the last class is, he's, he's like really crazy. Like he really has to make an effort to stay focused. Not even stay focused, just to not talk. And he'll like bring tacks to class. And or he'll find them, and he'll just be stabbing kids during class with tacks. With tacks, so like it took me like three minutes today to begin class because I had to make sure I had all of his tacks like emptied out of his pockets. So like that's what I'm dealing with here, dude. Wow. Pagans. I felt like Saint Pat today. <laughs> <laughs> I will convert these heathens <laughs> with chocolates. What'd you talk about? Well, we I told him the story of Saint Patrick. Which is an incredible story. Yeah. And I actually kind of read an exaggerated version of a lot of the St. Patrick's stories. Um, so I told him a lot of those. And I was telling Rob about them earlier. They're like 1,600-year-old legends. Mm-hmm. You know, like St. Pat, you know, there's devil priests that he's trying to, to go over there and convert. And the king is like floating at one point. And St. Patrick prays and, like, casts the, you know, the king of the village down and kills him and stuff like that. Like I think that stuff's all true. Dude, back then, magic was real. There were dragons and... Yep. Honestly, I didn't think yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that you mentioned the magic thing, yeah, that could be. That's a great point. That's a great point. I yeah. think that a lot, a lot of the lack of magic these days has to do with the fluoride in the water, frankly. And the pineal glands. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion, but I think the government has a lot to do with it, honestly. That's what it all comes back to, yeah. Yeah. All comes back to you. I, I mean, doesn't that make sense? Do you know how considering you read the, the, Considering they never figured out who really killed, killed JFK. That's true. Can you really say that the floor is not making a big difference? The government is in everything, including our brains. Yeah. Do you know our pineal glands used to be shaped like pine guns? Now they're just regular cones. Like, <laughs> they're worth the pine hat, dude. <laughs> Dang. Is that what? Tell me, uh, like, what is the deal with the pine cones? Because I heard you talking about this again at lunch. No, dude. What does it have to do with the pineal gland? Is it actually shaped? It's still only on the, the same cone. shape. It's just the same shape. It looks like a pine cone. It looks like a pine cone. But the pineal gland is really small, right? It's tiny. It's 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 like just a portion of the brain. That's all it is. It's a section and area of the brain. And they're not sure what it does. Or this they guy's know now? fixated on it. Is we're not sure in some animals. It has the ability to, um, it, has, it has sensate ability, so it can like detect that light is there. It can't mm-hmm. actually see the light, but it mm-hmm. can know that light is present. I guess through like the photons that it receives. Hmm. Um, but in some animals, only some of them have that ability. In humans, we do not have that ability. I think it has like rods and cones, but it has no functioning ability to do like anything in terms of vision. Rods and cones. Wait, is this in your eye? No, no, no. This is in your brain. This like is in your brain. In the, I don't know. Not... I don't know what part of the brain it is. And be mindful. This is like mix and match information that I'm getting from the guy at my field ed 
plus Wikipedia. Plus Wikipedia, plus all the other conspiracy theories that you read, you know, about it. Because I told the guy I do Which some research many, on it. Because I read them constantly. And then I go back, and it's so sad because the primary source, the only source of this guy's information is literally YouTube. Oh, man. Have you prayed with this guy? I've never prayed with him. No. But he believes in the Bible. He thinks the Bible was changed in like 480 or something like that. I'm guessing he thinks it's a code. I'm sure he thinks it's a code. I'm certain he thinks it's a code. He looks someone somewhat like Nicolas Cage. So Wow, good looking guy then, huh? Have you have you confirmed it's not Nicolas Cage? <laughs> I haven't. Well that's probably the place to start. I'll have to ask you. Just him make sure cover your bases right away. Yeah. Like the guy in the lunchroom the other day. We should have really walked up to him and said something in Russian and seen if he said something back. Because then we'd know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he either is or is not Vladimir Putin. Right. Because you're telling me, okay, Vladimir Putin couldn't come here trying to infiltrate the church. Mm -hmm. But if he heard Russian, that's like music to his ears. Yeah. He would totally respond back in Russian. Yeah, he would. It would just. It would be like hitting his knee with that one of those little hammers. <sighs> we would. Oh, we had him. We let him. Off. Dang it! Dang it! We let him off the hook. Let him off the hook. He right was. Now, going to be communist because of him. <clears throat> Dang it! If you were Vladimir Putin and you wanted to undermine the authority of the Catholic Church in America, where would you go? Absolutely, the I refectory. The refectory. <laughs> the refectory. At I didn't see that Yep. He was who we thought he was. <laughs> but we let him off the hook. Yeah. Yep. We should have just crowned him. You want to crown him? Crown him. He was so, who we thought he was. Uh, the reason I ask you why, if you prayed with him or not, is because, I mean, you guys remember this at the, was that at dinner the other night? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. When I prayed with that girl. So this weekend, this is not something I do normally. I, I think part of it was being in the hospital this summer, uh, a lot of times when I visit people, because I was there like eight hours a day just visiting people, mm-hmm. at a certain point, like, you know, you can converse with them and ask them how they're feeling and stuff, but everybody feels bad. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you kind of feel like, okay, I can I can just kind of receive this, sympathize, empathize. But then what do you do? The only thing I had to offer, because I didn't have anything to inject them with or... I couldn't turn them like the nurses or anything. All I had to offer was prayer at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And even people that weren't Christian or weren't particularly religious, you know, sometimes in those situations they would say, sure. And then I'd ask them, you know, if they believed in Jesus, then then I could pray Mm -hmm. through Christ and everything. And, but even if they didn't, I would just invoke God. Yeah. Um, And so I guess I got in that habit of offering to pray with people and not feeling so weird about it, because in the hospital, they know who you are. You're the chaplain. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, they know they can say no thank you. Mm-hmm. And I would always say that, like, feel free to say no thank you. But Yeah. So they already have an out. Um, but also present it as if this is a valid option, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is something I have to offer you. So anyway, I think I'm in that habit now. And this weekend, I was given... The third weekend in a row, I gave a retreat mm-hmm. kind of thing. But this was a mini retreat. So it was parents that are going to have their kids either get First Communion or Confirmation. Oh, yeah. And this parish does it so that the kids have to go through the classes, but also the parents have to do a monthly, like, session. That's really good. Yeah. It's awesome. Because if those kids 
if all they do is just come to CCD for one hour, once a week, and then they go home and get the total opposite, yeah, I'm telling you, they're not going to be. They're going to come with. They're not going to be good pocket. Catholics. They're going to come with tax in their pocket, and they're just going to stab oh everyone they see. And they're going to disrespect the teacher. <laughs> they're going to disrespect Mr. Metz. <laughs> well, let me tell you what, man. And I told him today, I was like, look, God better dad come pray for me, because <laughs> I need it. You better pray for all the CCD teachers out here. Because if all they get is one hour a week, and then they go home and get someone that's totally opposite, the home is where the formation actually occurs. So I'm sold that in order to evangelize the youth, mm-hmm. evangelize their parents. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what this pastor is thinking. Thanks be to God. No, that's really, and it's only once a month. That's really good. And it's only the morning, so it's like nine to nine to noon. Yeah, once a month on a Saturday. What? So it's a commitment. It represents some kind of commitment on the parent, part of the parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I laughed out loud when I read your email back from Father Barron, by the way, and you were <laughs> like, your email was like. Father Baron, I presume that your keynote address at the L.A. conference went well because he's talking in front of like 40,000 people at this L.A. Catholic conference. And you were like, I myself gave a keynote talk this weekend. Did you say that? And then it was like parentheses to 30 parents in a catechism (laughs) class. (laughs) But, oh, it was was great. (laughs) The keynote nonetheless. So I gave a talk I've given a a bunch of times now about um, basically... What is a sacrament? Mm-hmm. How does it work? Is it a magic trick? No, it's not. Why is it not? Um, and then how all of this comes from uh, the redemption wrought for us in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, how this is the central event of humanity. Why is that? And so explaining explaining how it all works, why it matters that this guy died 2,000 years ago. How does that affect me? Mm-hmm. Versus all the millions of people who have died before him and then the billions since him. You know, uh, and sort of explaining that he's our brother um, and that he's the son of God. So just as a brother can earn merit for his brother, he did that for us. But he also did it, something we couldn't have done ourselves as the son of God. And he showed us something that never would have occurred to us. And anyways, I won't go through the, all the details of the talk, but um, I just tell a lot of stories. And I also kind of feel like uh, I'm more and more kind of believing this insight that people don't listen to or don't trust a speaker that they don't like. Mm-hmm. So if you're getting up in front of a bunch of people that don't know you, you have to kind of get them on your side mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that they they trust that what you're saying is for their benefit and you're not trying to sell them on something or force them into something or get something out of them like, oh, we're trying to take your time from you. Mm-hmm. Convince them that I'm here just to give you something. I mean, that's the case, right? I'm, I don't have to be there. I'm not getting paid, paid for this. I drove an hour to get there on a Saturday morning when I didn't need to do that. Like, Just sort of make it clear that I love you guys, and I want your lives to be awesome, and your kids' lives to be awesome, and that's the only reason I'm doing this. And part of that is just like sharing yourself with people, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I think like through practice, I've gotten decent at connecting with the the crowd and you can you can always tell like there's two or three people that are really keyed into what you're saying and then you just start talking to them you know mm-hmm. and then other people can overhear but you're like this person i can just see there's like an anointing on them or something the spirit's moving and right now i'm just like i'm just beaming you yeah just, you just like laser laser I, beams laser beams <laughs> at your at your face so um, Are you sure they're not weirded out by that? They're sitting there like, 
Oh, Why is he man. looking at me? <laughs> this no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not creeping on him or anything. I guess I have to pay attention now. <laughs> he's looking at me all the time. So anyway, I gave a talk, 45 minutes, and... Um, you know what he should have done is sprayed some holy water with a super soaker on the surrounding people that weren't paying attention. That's what I did to bless the room before we started. Nice. Continue. Good. They were drenched. So after I gave the talk, I went upstairs, got a cup of coffee, and they were going to have like a discussion group about the talk, and then mm-hmm. some questions that the catechist said formulated about the talk. So... After a while, I go back down there to the basement where the, because it was like, that was the English group, and there was a Spanish group upstairs where Father Tom Byrne was giving the talk. Mm-hmm. Same oh, basic nice. talk, but in Spanish, and his version of it. So I went back down to the English-speaking crowd, and they were in, like, breakout groups. And I just went over to one of the groups, and uh, God bless her, there was a catechist, but she was just talking too much, you know, and mm-hmm. English wasn't her first language, and, and the the group energy was just way down mm-hmm. because she was asking the questions, but when no one answered, she would just start saying stuff and then people would just like their eyes were glazing over. And um, So you have to deal with things like group energy a lot. Oh yeah. Like how is this dynamic? What's the energy right now? Can we, let's get some excitement. You have to do stuff like, but like, that stuff oh. is real though too. You know, like y- you've been in group discussions. Where it is. Someone, you don't, maybe you don't even can, can't put your finger on it, but you know the energy's all gone out of this oh, room right sure. now. Yeah. So I tried to do the best I could, and I, I kind of, I didn't want to, like, usurp her as the leader or anything, but I did kind of want to relieve her of that duty, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll just try to run this discussion a little bit. So, again, you know, trying to reach out to people and, in humility and say, like, hey, I don't have a family. I'm curious, you know? Is this realistic? Could you read the scriptures with your kids, you know, every day or once a week or something? Is that even realistic, you know? And just, like, claim ignorance and say, I want to be informed by you. So, here, you can tell me. And then then they're like, well, yeah, I mean, but how do you make it not boring for the kids? You know, then, like, real questions come up for them. And then, so, after 10, 15 minutes, they started talking and they were like, Oh, yeah, these movies are, good. like, showing the kids the passion of the Christ has been really big. And Whew. One girl, one woman said that uh, she always prays the Our Father before they start driving in the car. Hmm. And um, one of their kids every once in a while will say, like, hey, you forgot to pray, you know. Yeah. So that whole connection of, like, kids kids get into these routines and they, and they model what the parents do. If the parents think it's important, then the kids do, you know. Yeah. Um, so we're getting into this, all this discussion about like, how does a family stay Catholic? And, and honestly, it was interesting for me because I mean, my, I have my brother, he has his family. Mm-hmm. And so I see a little bit of like what the challenge is when your kid's going oh, to public school and yeah. all that stuff. How do you, how do you like ingrain the, the faith into them in a way that's not overbearing and forcing them into something that they don't want to do, but actually grab a kid's imagination and say like, this is. You know, you're growing into this yeah. life, you know, um, with this as the sort of metric of goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, because kids will respond to whatever bar you set, honestly, I think, you know. And and they want to please their parents. And if their parents think, this is good. Mm-hmm. If, if the parent's standard is like, get A's and that's it, then morally they might feel like <clears throat> free to do whatever. But if their metric is like, be the person God wants you to be. Yeah. Then those kids will fit into that mold, and they'll be much happier, well-balanced. 
people yeah. than if they're just school and then the weekends are whatever I want to do, you know. But then all of a sudden this woman starts into uh, how she's so sh- she's so glad she came today because she didn't want to come. And she was maybe in her 40s. She had five kids or some six kids, a lot of kids. Wow. From she had one first communion kid <clears throat> and she had a 16-year-old and everything in between. No way. And um, she was saying how she really wants God in her life and, and she wants to be connected to the church, but she didn't really know how that was going to be possible and stuff because her family's kind of messed up and her parents are drug addicts. and um, Her parents She are? was really like, you know, all her and her brothers and sisters were really abused and wounded. Mm-hmm. And, and it's in front of like 20 people in this group, but she's breaking down and just getting really vulnerable. And I could see that the people weren't looking at her. They were looking at me. Mm-hmm. Like, what's he going to do with this kind of thing? <coughs> and uh, I felt really at peace just kind of listening to her. And and it would be different if it was just me and her, like, in a hospital room. And she was opening up about these feelings. But at the same time, I, I felt, I mean, it was the Holy Spirit. I was just, like, keyed into what is she experiencing right now that she feels comfortable enough to to open this up and she's crying and crying and and when I could tell she kind of got everything out um, and she was just kind of like so I don't know what to do kind of thing Hmm. Uh, I did one of these you know feel free to say no thank you but do you mind if we pray with you and and she just nodded and said that would be good and and so I stood up and I just had everybody kind of stand and circle up kind of thing mm-hmm. not around her but I put my hand on her shoulder and you know asked permission to do that and all that and then everybody just kind of spontaneously held hands and I just said a prayer and then the whole basement all the other breakout groups got quiet probably partly because everybody stood up maybe they thought we were done or something okay but then it was just like you could feel something you know that the spirit was there and it was it was one of those things like I didn't do this. Yeah. And I just start blessing her and, and praying for her, everything, and just words are coming, whatever, that speaking blessing into her life and into these wounds that she's willing to bring before God. and Because um, they, they had all sorts of questions about, like, confession and and how that works and can the priest tell people. And, and just the, the amount of ignorance about how this all works, like, confessing your sins and bringing stuff to God to be healed. And I felt like this woman right now wants to be healed. And I also was very cognizant of the fact that maybe she feels very self-conscious right now. So I kept it kind of short and I mm-hmm. I gave her a little hug and kind of whispered like, I'm sorry, I didn't want you to feel self-conscious. She just looked at me. She's like crying, like, no, it's, it's fine kind of thing. And, um. Just a really beautiful moment. And I, I was praying morning prayer the next day because I, I went down to my parish after that to uh, deacon one of the masses on Saturday. And the next morning, I that memory just came back to me um, of sitting in that circle, in that situation, all those people kind of talking about life, the real struggles, and, and then this woman opening up like that and me responding that way. And I... And I it was one of those things where you look at yourself in your in your mind's eye. You kind of like look at yourself through those people's eyes. Like who who do they see when they look at me? And I was kind of like, who the heck is that guy? 
You know, at some point, when you're doing this stuff, and you're ordained, even as a deacon, or even as a seminarian, you know, sometimes this would happen where the Holy Spirit just kind of, like, wants to rock somebody's world, and and he uses you. Yeah. You're like, that's not me, man. Like, it's Saturday at noon. And there have been a lot of Saturdays at noon where I've been in bed still. <laughs> Yeah. You know? You and me both. Uh, maybe not recently, but throughout my life, <laughs> it's been a big portion of my Saturdays. I've been just lazy, sitting around, doing nothing. And here I'm in this basement of a church, offering to pray with this woman who has just opened her heart to a bunch of people she doesn't know. And part of the reason why is because she saw Christ in me. Yeah. And that... It doesn't make me feel proud or like I'm so great. It makes me feel like this is uh, an awesome mystery that I'm living into that I don't merit in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's awesome. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And peer down.